Well, good morning, church. So much to cover this morning. Um, first and foremost, we have a baby dedication or a family dedication. So come on up, Cisneros. So excited for this couple here. What's up, Odell? Look at you guys. Look at you guys. You guys are matching and all. Here, let me hold that. Oh, my goodness. Look at this young man. Well, he's, he's, he's fascinated by the lights. Like, oh, he said, let me go that way. <laughs> well, I had the privilege of marrying these guys off a while back. And so I'm excited to be able to pray for you guys as another little addition to the family. And so the Lord, it's interesting because, you know, we, we dedicate babies. We don't baptize babies and things like that, but we dedicate them up to the Lord. And uh, just reading about Jesus and, and how on the eighth day they took him to Jerusalem and uh, he was circumcised, but he was dedicated to the Lord. And so that's what we want to do. We want to pray not only for the little boys here, but for you guys as well. Um, God's going to have his hand upon these guys, and God will have his hand upon you. So let's pray for these guys. Father in heaven, we just look to you, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for little Odell here, Lord God, who's just grown, and you're, uh, you're just ministering to his little heart through Sunday school and all the things, Lord God. I pray for him, Lord God, right now, that you would just keep your hand upon him. And God, you would surround him with your goodness and your grace, Lord God, and raise him up, Lord God that he would love you and fear you, Lord. And so bless him, I pray. Lord, I pray for little Isaiah right here, Lord. And lift him up into your presence, Jesus. God, he is so dependent upon his mom, upon his dad. I pray that he would grow up to be dependent upon you, oh Lord. Please, Father, both of these young men. Pray for Casey, Lord, and I pray for Jonathan, Lord God, that you would put your hand upon them. Just minister to them, Lord God. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives and how you've brought them together and how they're raising these, these boys, Lord God. And I pray that, God, you would truly have your way in their life, Lord, that they would daily seek your face, Lord God, to grow themselves but also to raise these boys. And so we pray, God, that Jonathan would be that father that he needs to be for these boys. He would be with Casey, Lord God, as she mothers them. God, please, Lord, God, put your blessing upon this whole family. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the work that you're going to do in their lives, Lord, God, in all their lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! Who wants it? Man, it's been an emotional morning already, man. I know, huh? <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, man. I feel like a little girl up here. <laughs> little chavala. Um, that's a little girl for you non-Spanish speakers. Um, in our journey reading, if you don't have a, a, a little reading plan for the month of December... 
I want to read to you guys. It's only two verses this morning that we have. Um, some, some of the reading, sometimes it's a chapter, sometimes it's several verses. This is two different verses. The first one in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, and the second uh, verse will be in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And so let me read to you verse 35, chapter 20, Acts. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I want to encourage you to join us in our readings. Every time we get together, I want to be able to just read to you the portion of where we're at. And so be reading along with us. We're back into the book of Revelation this morning. After taking a week off as the youth group came and took over, or should I say commandeered, hijacked, <laughs> seized control of the service last week. And I was so blessed to be able to just sit in front here and listen to Jacob, our, our worship leader, and or not worship leader, our youth leader. He can't sing with the lick. Um, but, um, but just to hear him share his heart from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to see Thomas and Gigi lead us in worship, and then the kids that came up to, to do announcements and ushering and, and all those kinds of things. I'm just blessed, you know, to be able to have these young kids are desirous and uh, to be involved and to kind of kind of be a part of all of this. Uh, I, I, I love watching all that. I was just sharing with somebody earlier today, when I don't get to teach for about a week or so, I just feel like, man, can I still do this? You know, can I get back into the groove? And so we'll see. We'll see how this one, I know we did first service, but we'll see how this one comes out. It's just, I've gotten emotional here, man. Throughout the worship time, I'm crying. And then, you know, these peeps, man, they make me cry because I've married them off and now their family is growing and all that stuff. And so let's see if we can get through this, right? Uh, so we've been covering the seven trumpets in the last couple of weeks, the last several weeks. We've gotten, uh, in our last study, we got through the, the fifth and sixth trumpet in the chapter that we were covering and just like between the sixth and seventh seal, so here also we, we see that between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, there is a break. There, there is a parenthesis, if you will, between this trumpet, the last trumpet that we've covered, and the next one that, that we will get to. It's almost as if, like last time, we, we have a short or brief reprieve, a short stay of execution between the, 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 this trumpet and the final trumpet that will be sounded. It, it kind of gives us a little reprieve from the judgment that we've been covering through the first six trumpets. It, it, it's kind of giving us a, a little break, <laughs> kind of almost to, 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 to get us back, back on track here, reminding us that 
Now, now this parenthesis that, that we will be looking at here goes into the next chapter. It covers most of chapter 11 as well to about verse 14. So, so this, this kind of break that we have here between the second woe trumpet and the last woe trumpet, we, we, we see that it's, it's almost like, like that, that second woe trumpet hasn't finished. Because in verse 14 of chapter 11, it says, The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So again, it, it just doesn't give us a clear-cut view that, okay, this one's over, let's have a break, and let's get into the last trumpet. It's almost like we're still in this second trumpet woe. But, but we see a little reprieve here. We, we, we see that there's still this there's in, in, interval, this, this intermission, this little hiatus, if you will, that gives us a break from the judgment that has been unleashed upon the world. And it helps us to get back into the perspective of what this book is all about. That, that God is still in control. He is still on the throne. Because oftentimes when we see a lot of the devastation that is going on through the book of Revelation, we tend to forget that God is still on the throne. We see the destruction that happens upon man and upon the land and upon the seas and, and all those kinds of things. And we're thinking, man, things are just like crazy. Things are just gotten way crazy in this world. And yet, these kinds of parentheses chapters kind of bring us back to, to, to view what is truly going on, that God is still on the throne. That Jesus Christ is still being revealed even to this world. Because it's interesting, when we're looking at the devastation, when we're looking at the judgment, what we tend to forget in those times is that God's mercy is still involved in that. God still shows His mercy upon this world during the tribulation time. Christ is still being revealed. And so even though we have to cover the devastation and the destruction, it should always be in the light of who Jesus is, in light of Jesus is coming back one day to set his kingdom up on the earth. Amen? Amen. And so let's read all of chapter 10. 11 verses. Verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, when he cries out. Seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. 
But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Father, I pray, God, that even as I, as I share this message, Lord, as we have read your, your word, I pray, Lord, that you would help me in delivering this message, that you would help me to deliver it with clarity, with some understanding for my people, Lord, here, that you would open up their ears and help them to see, to hear and to see what you have for them this morning, Lord God. Comfort their hearts, but also challenge them, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we go back to verse 1, 2, 3, 4, in that area right there, it says that, that here in this parenthetical chapter, that, that he saw still another mighty angel. Now, there, there, there are some speculation as to who this mighty angel is. And some believe, because of how we've read this, some believe that, that it could be Jesus Christ himself. And we will get into that. But some point also to Daniel chapter 12. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, full of prophecy. There are some similarities between this mighty angel that we are reading about here and another mighty angel, which happens to be an archangel. Apparently they're bigger, mightier. Whose name is Michael. Now you could read about the similarities in chapter 12 of Daniel and, and you can do that on your own time a little later, kind of going over as we read this and then a little later go back to chapter 12 and kind of see about Michael there. Now, the thought is that angels are really not identified with Jesus in the book of Revelation, and for that matter, in the New Testament. Now, as we have seen, if you study the Old Testament, in the OT there, you can oftentimes see that, that Jesus is represented as the angel of the Lord. Some call that a Christophany, that he has come and, and he ministers or he presents himself and he is referred to as the angel of the Lord. And when you read about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's usually caps. The angel is a cap and the Lord a cap. And so the angel of the Lord, they're all in capitals there. Michael, going back to Michael a little bit, as an archangel, he, well, he is pretty powerful. If, if you read through the book of Daniel, he's mentioned a couple times there, but, but you see that he has some powerful authority within him you know he he's a kind that goes out and fights battles 
Not so much the, the physical battles that you could see, but you see him in the spiritual realm and there's battles that are going on in the spiritual realm even today. Right now, there's, there's battles happening in the spiritual realm and there's these, these forces that are fighting one another. And, and, and we get a glimpse of, of Michael in the book of Daniel, how he is fighting against the enemy. And he is able to throw around commands because he has that much authority. So the possibility is there that, th- that, that he could be talking about in our text, that he could be talking about Michael the archangel or that there is another mighty angel. But a lot of, of, of commentators believe that this chapter, because it is a parenthetical chapter, that it is putting things back into perspective, putting things back on focus, you know, putting things back on who Jesus is throughout the book of Revelation that, that, that is talking about Jesus here because of the descriptions that we've already seen it. And some of you guys, as we're reading that, you're going, yeah, right on. It's Jesus. I could see it. I've seen the references that we've covered already throughout the book of Revelation. And so looking at some of the descriptions, it says that it is a mighty angel. And this is the first time that the phrase or the term mighty angel is used here in the book of Revelation. But it would be used again in chapter 18, verse 21, the term mighty angel. Now the word mighty is used in these two instances. It is the same Greek word that is used back in chapter 5, verse 2, where it talks about a strong angel. And that one wasn't Jesus by any means. Now, we do know that that Jesus refers to himself in chapter 1, verse 8, as the Almighty. But the Greek word for the Almighty and mighty angel or mighty is nowhere close to being connected together. So it might not be. This angel is clothed with a cloud. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Exodus, then you know that the cloud oftentimes represents the presence of God. If you've read through Exodus, you see that when the children of Israel were being led out of the wilderness, there was a pillar of cloud that went before them and came up behind them. And in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. And they did not, and he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And then in the next chapter of of Exodus 14, verse 19, it says, And the angel of the Lord, and that is in caps, the, the, the angel is in caps. The angel of the Lord, speaking of the presence, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. And so we see that this cloud speaks of the very presence of God within the, 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 the pillar of cloud and also in the pillar of fire. Both represent the presence of God. Now, if you're familiar with the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, when it was finished, there was that holy place, and it says that there was a cloud that came down upon the holy place, and that was also 
the presence of God. And we, have, and, and, and we saw time and again through Exodus, when you're going through Exodus, that whenever Moses went up to the mountain, there was a cloud that came down and spoke to Moses as if face to face, right? So again, we're seeing this cloud. There's a little like line going there that it, it talks about the presence of God. And when we go into the New Testament and Jesus goes up to the mountain of transfiguration with, with Peter, James, and John, we see that Moses and, and Elijah are there with him. And at one point at the end there, it says that there's a cloud and it speaks. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so again, speaking of the presence. So is this Jesus himself who is clothed in a cloud? It talks, talks about a rainbow. And the last time we saw a rainbow, it was surrounding the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. The rainbow represents the promise of God, right? And, and I shared with you back then that what we see in the rainbow is the half arc. But it's not a half arc, it's a complete circle. And we see it encompassing the throne because God's promises are complete. And so here, speaking about the, the rainbow that this angel has, speaks about the promises of God. And he used that rainbow, that arc of a rainbow, um, that back in Genesis where, where he was destroying the earth with the flood, that he would never do that again. And when we've been going through the destruction that is happening in the book of Revelation, we see that it is not going to be destroyed by a flood. So even in our text, we see that the promise is still being kept says that his face of this mighty angel was like the sun. Well, in Revelation 1.16, it says that the countenance of Jesus was like the sun shining in its brightness or in its strength. And this is the kind of brightness that, that humbled Paul on his road to Damascus, knocking him off his high horse and blinding him for about three days. It's the same kind of brightness that reveals our sin to us. It blinds us with his kindness, if you will. It shows us the way of salvation, and it lights our path. That same kind of brightness. It says that his feet, talks about his feet like pillars of fire. Well, in Revelation 1.15, it says that his feet are like fine brass, as if refined in the furnace. And both of those descriptions speak of judgment, and Jesus is the only one that can bring about judgment. So, the descriptions that we have here about this mighty angel quite possibly can be referencing or a reference of Jesus Christ. Not to mention the fact that Jesus came the first time as the Lamb to, to die for the sins of the world, but he will come again as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in verse 3, it says that the cry of this loud voice was as uh, when a lion roars. So we're going, well, of course, it sounds, all these descriptions sound just like Jesus, don't they? But this is not talking about his second coming here. The fact that this mighty angel has his foot on the sea and on the land speaks of touchdown on the earth. And we, this is not speaking about the second coming because he is not setting up his kingdom yet here on earth. Jesus only comes once. He came the first time as a baby and he will come as a, lion, as a lamb and he will come again to set up his kingdom at the end 
of a thousand, or, or at, at the end of the Armageddon. So, if the focus of this chapter is to get back to the main character, which is Jesus, then we could assume or should assume that this mighty angel is indeed Jesus. But, <laughs> then again, John has already recognized Jesus in heaven. He has seen him as the, the lamb that has been slain, but he has seen him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So I don't think that he would confuse the two. I don't think he would confuse Jesus for an angel. I think if this was Jesus himself, he would have definitely told us this is a man right here. This is Jesus. I don't think he would dilly-dally like this. I don't think he would kind of go, ah, let me, let, let me put a little twist and just confuse them a little bit here. So it is quite possible that this mighty angel that we see here in these verses in this chapter has been given a lot of the same attributes of Jesus, the same authorities that Jesus has. And it is just another mighty angel, not Jesus himself. It says in verse 2 that this mighty angel had a little book, a scroll, if you will, in his hand. And you're going, come on, Zeke. There's a scroll there, man. Jesus was the only one. The lamb was the only one that could get the scroll. It's like, well, hold your horses. Don't get too crazy on me. It tells us that the mighty angel has this little book. It's different. Even the Greek word between the scroll in chapter 5 and this little book, the Greek words are similar but different. A little different there. But it says, once again, that he's standing, this mighty angel is standing on the earth, on the sea, and on the land. And this shows us that this angel has complete authority over both. And he commands each. So he has a lot of authority. All of this speaks of power and authority. And again, to a lot of us, you're going, come on, just tell me it is Jesus Christ himself. It's like, I can't do that yet. That's not what my notes say. I'm going a different direction here. I'm just stringing you along, bringing you along, helping you probably think a little bit, going, man, all the time I thought it was Jesus. Now you're throwing a little curveball at me here, bro. Come on. Because, again, it sounds a lot like him because it seems like everything has been put under his feet. And in Matthew 28, 18, it does say that Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And yet we know that Jesus uses both man and angels to do his bidding. And in this case, I truly believe that he has chosen a mighty angel. It's not Jesus. It's a mighty angel to speak to John and to keep things in perspective. Pointing back to Jesus. Not Jesus pointing at himself. Pointing back to Jesus. Pointing back to the throne. And, and he who sits on the throne reminding us that Jesus has overcome and that he is seated at the right hand of God. And then in verses four, 3 and 4, it starts talking about how, how he roared like a lion, and when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. 
And when the seven thunders uttered their voices, it says that John was about to write this down. I mean, why wouldn't he be ready to write this down? After all, that's what he has been commanded to do from the beginning of the book of Revelation. It's like, hey, write everything you see. So he has pen and paper, man, and he's looking at this and the awesomeness of the, of the seven thunders, man. And all of a sudden he's going to write and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, bro, don't write this one down. kidding me see we've been looking at these seven series for a while right and these sevens they speak of completion fulfillment and perfection and so with this loud voice this mighty angel pronounces these things and 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 all of a sudden these seven thunders man they just like are so loud man and they speak out and they sound out with power and authority. And, and, and John's like, yeah, man, I can't wait to tell everybody about this. And he says, oh, don't write this one. Now, would you want to you, you know what it is, right? Because I know what some of you guys are thinking. Pastor Zeke, with all your studying and stuff, I'm sure you found what they are, right? The seven thunders, come on, let, let me in on it. It's probably in, in the OT somewhere, in some you know small minor prophet is probably in there, probably sneaked in. And tell me what it is. It's like I'd like to do that, but I can't because I don't know. It's sealed. <laughs> it doesn't tell us that. It does tell us that it's sealed. It's all sealed. <laughs> and it's like, what a letdown, right? It's almost like then why'd you tell us, God, that there were seven thunders of these voices that were just so amazing, and you're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, don't write it down. Just keep it to yourself. It's like John came back and he didn't tell anybody. He didn't write it down. It's almost like, God, could you have just like showed him all this? Tell him, hey, why don't you write it down? Put it in some crazy cave out there somewhere. And then a couple thousand years later, they could see it. And then we could all know what it is like in this day and age. We can know what they are. But you know what? That didn't happen either. You're going, man, what a letdown. Why would he do that? It's interesting because the book of Revelation is all about revelation. Things that are being unveiled. And for some reason, God in his infinite wisdom decides on this one, even though I'm revealing so much, you don't need to know about. really god why would you do that to us so all of this is 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 in is sealed in john's little memory bank there and he doesn't tell anybody the 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 mighty angel knows and god himself so oftentimes often when things are not revealed to us it's interesting that we want to find those things out right it's like why I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to go for it. It's interesting because when Paul was caught up into the third heaven, right? He comes back and says, I'd love to tell you what was there, but I can't speak. I can't utter these things. People probably would have thought he was crazy. (laughs) But he doesn't tell anybody what he saw in the third heavens there. One commentator does speculate (laughs) about these seven thunders. And I'm going... You're kidding me. It's just so that there was nothing there. But yet he, he refers to, to Psalm 29 
about these, these thunderous voice of God. And it's interesting when, when you go to, to, to Psalm 29, and it was interesting because I went there and there was seven things that I underlined. Seven? Seven? Hey, do we have a connection there? No, they can't be. Because again, they're sealed. But this guy said, well, that's quite possible. It could be that. Well, it is possible, but he just told us. That he, didn't, he didn't write nothing. He didn't say nothing. Now, instead of trying to figure out what has been hidden from us, and obviously God didn't want us to know, <laughs> instead of trying to figure all the unknowns that God's going, you know what, you're better, not, better off not knowing these things. Instead of wasting our time trying to figure all that out, we should just try and do what has been revealed to us, right? Because so much has been revealed to us in His Word. There's so much that God has told us in His Word that we should be doing. You're going, ah, that's boring. I want to know the unknown. I want that. <laughs> I want the spectacular. He's going, no, just do the practical things. Just do the simple things. Just do the humble things. And you're going, boring. I want the big, humongous. And it's like, that's not what He's asking us to do. Instead of wasting our time, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we can't dig deep, guys. We should dig deep in the scriptures. There is so much in there for us. Don't get me wrong. There's so much. But there are certain things that God just didn't want us to know. And the seven thundering voices, these utterances, are seven things that he did not want us to know. You see, there are things in our lives, as Christians even, as people who study his word, that God just doesn't tell us. He doesn't show us. And church, we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with what we don't know. We need to be able to trust Him with what we don't know. You see, there's so many things that happen in our lives that we just will never figure out. We, want, we can't even make sense of it. And those are the kinds of things that God says, I didn't want you to understand them. I just told you to trust me in them. Just trust me. And so we need to trust Him with what we do know, but we need to trust Him with what we don't know. We need to be able to, to look to God and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I will lean on you. I will trust you on this. I, I, I truly don't think that, that we were meant to understand it all. I think there, there, there's things that, that we just cannot ever make sense of it. Even if he revealed certain things to us, we would like, uh, it's like, that's why I didn't want to tell you. Because you can't handle the truth. You can't handle it. I, I think that's where a lot of people have a problem with God. They feel that they need to understand everything about God. And so when they can't understand the things that God does or why He does certain things, they're going, well, He must not be real because I can't understand Him. And you know what? If I could totally understand God and know what He knows, He wouldn't be much of a God. I would probably be giving Him some advice, and I have a lot of advice to give. <laughs> but He wouldn't be much of a God if I knew stuff that He didn't know, if I knew it all. 
He wouldn't be much of a God. And so His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And so there is no way that we can comprehend all that He is and all that He knows. I think with all the recent events that have been happening in our lives here, especially this past week, where it just doesn't make sense. This one kind of hit a little closer home. It wasn't Paris. It was San Bernardino. Some of you guys were caught up in all of that. Some of the people you know. It was really close to home. And I think oftentimes, in those moments, we're going, where are you, God? Because I don't understand why you just don't intervene right now. Because you could stop those cats right now. You can give them a flat tire. You can explode their car. You can do whatever you want so that they don't go and cause havoc. And we look at God and we're going, why aren't you doing something right now? Why aren't you intervening? Why aren't you? And we, can't, we cannot even make sense of it, of why people would go and just deliberately go and destroy people's lives. We cannot make sense of it. And you're going, yeah, but shouldn't we make sense of it? It's like, I don't know. See, it's in those things that we just say, okay, Lord, I trust that you know what you're doing. I trust because your word has revealed to me that you still sit on the throne when all this craziness happens in our life. I have to trust that you already know that man is evil. I have to trust that, that you know all these things. And, and, and when tragedy strikes my life, I have to know that you're still on the throne. See, those are the things that he's already revealed to us. Those are the times that he says, I don't need you to understand it. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to rely more upon me because of this. Because if you try to figure it all out, you're going to go crazy. It's way beyond your thoughts. I don't think we're supposed to understand it all. But the things that we do know from the Word of God... Those are the things that we should be doing. He never told us, hey, understand it all. He just said, trust me. Trust me when you don't understand. Lean on me when you cannot make sense of it for anything. Just trust me. Trust me that I will use it for your glory, for, for my glory your good and my glory. Trust me. And I think that's when people get mad at God. Well, I can't quite comprehend you, God, so I'm done. It's like, really? That's when you're going to give up? That's when you should be pressing in even more, right? That, that, that's when we, we, we understand. So see, this chapter here, man, as I'm studying, going, Lord, what am I going to give my peeps? I don't quite comprehend it all. It's like, that's okay. Just tell them what you do understand. That I'm still on the throne. Okay, got that one. <laughs> that Jesus has overcome. Got it. That you still have every, I still have everything under control, even in the midst of destruction. That's where we're at, guys. Because we don't quite comprehend it all. We will never be able to comprehend it all. It's interesting because this angel, whom John saw in verse 5 through 7, that he's standing on the sea and on the earth. He raises his hand. And all the other translations, maybe in the one that's sitting on your lap, says he raised his right hand to heaven and he swore. 
to him who sits on the throne. The one who lives forever and ever. And it's almost like what we would see in a court of law. Raise your right hand. If you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. Nothing. I, I don't know, I've never been to court like that, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> but I know it kind of goes something like that, right? It's interesting because he makes an oath. This mighty angel makes an oath or gives an oath declaring that the end is set in motion. When he talks about that, that, that there will be no more time in some translations or a delay, it won't delay any longer. It's not like time stands still and there's no more time after this because we know that there's still another three and a half years. We still know that there's another thousand year period. So we know that time continues. But what he is speaking of at the end of verse six is that there is no turning back from this time forward. From the time of this writing, what he is being uh, uh, shown here, that, that there is no more delay. The end is in motion. It's not going to stop. And so the angel is instructed, what he is instructed to do, he will carry out and finish. And John refers to the mystery of God. And I'm looking at this going, oh, another mystery? Bad enough, I can't make total sense of this whole thing. This chapter... There's a mystery? Well, there's a lot that is shared about the mysteries of God. So many different facets about the mysteries of God. And these mysteries here, which will come to an end or even be revealed. The mysteries of God. And and it's quite possibly it could be both here. Because it's quite possible that, that the time is up that this, the mystery will be finished. Could be talking about the grace of God, it's done. His, his long suffering is done. And I don't know about you, but grace is a big mystery to me. <laughs> it's way beyond what I could even fathom. Oh, I live in it and I love it. And I, I will accept what, what I can receive here. But his long suffering, his kindness, all of that is way beyond me. It's a mystery to me. But then again, so is his judgment and his wrath. See, I don't understand that kind of mystery of God. How he judges this person right here in the here and now, and I could see it. Or, or, or when he lets people get away with it, you're going, the bad guy wins? It's like, no, 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 no. My judgment will come. It's like, well, I don't understand it, God. I don't understand why you allow that to happen and not that to happen. And then it, and then it blows my mind. It's like, to what measure does he give his grace, his long suffering? To what measure does he give his, his judgments and his wrath? <laughs> They're both a mystery to me. So it could be that the grace is finishing. And it could be... <laughs> That, that, that the end, the judgment, is just right around the corner. I've said this before, and I will continue to say it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you or I or someone doesn't believe what the Bible says or not. It doesn't matter. It will come to pass, because it is the Word of God. And what He has spoken will happen whether you believe it or not whether you want to believe it or not it's beyond us it will happen 
And at the time of this that's being showed to John and the oath that is being taken or given, at that point, there will be, um, there will no longer, it, it won't continue on. It's just a matter of time for it to all be done. And the kingdom of God will be set up and established on the earth. And so he has declared, it says in verse 7, he has declared to his servants, the prophets. See, throughout the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament with Jesus, and even in the book of Revelation, he's already told us about the end. He's already declared to us about the kingdom being established. Those things we do know about. We might not understand all these other things, what's in the book, who the mighty angel is. We might not comprehend any of those things. But he's already revealed it to his servants, the prophets, through his word. And now we are to wait. And so verse 8 through 11, it says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the hand out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it my stomach became bitter, and he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This, this voice that he hears here, the, in my reference Bible, it takes me back to Revelation 4, 1, where, where John hears this voice where he says, come up to heaven. It's that same voice once again speaking to him because he recognized it. And the instruction is, go, take the little book. Now, it never really tells us what is in the little book, but some have speculated even though it didn't tell us what's in it, that this little book is part of that bigger book, the, 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 the scroll, if you will. But nothing really indicates to that. And I just find it fascinating because, again, these guys are digging. They're, they're looking for any little correlation and stuff. And others say that, that this book contains the methods, the ways, the processes of God and, 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 and working it out in, you know, uh, in our lives on the earth. And he says, take it. Take it in. Take in this book. Take in what's, what's in this book. Take it, and it will be sweet. The taking it in will be sweet, but the executing of it will be bitter. And oftentimes, man, when we read the Word of God, man, it is so sweet to us, right? It just comes in like butter, okay, like honey. And you're just like, yes. And you know me, I love sweet stuff, man. And I want to go back for more. And the Word of God is like that, man, to, to where it's sweet, man. You go back for more. But oftentimes, in executing what we learn in the Word of God, it's kind of a little hard to swallow, huh? <laughs> It's almost like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. It's almost like there's a little bitterness within us, you know. It's interesting because in Ezekiel chapter 2 and 3, the prophet Ezekiel is told the same thing about a book, about a scroll. It says to eat it. And, and, and as you do, it will be sweet in your mouth, but when your stomach is filled, it will be bitter. 
And you see, he, he, he had to take in what God was telling him, which was sweet in one sense, but now he had to go convey it to the children of Israel. And it was bitter for them, and they did not want to hear what he had to say because they opposed him. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are, God, we are to God a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma, the aroma of death, leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient for these things you see we as believers those who are saved we take in the word of god and it is sweet it is sweet and it is an aroma to god and we're going thank you jesus but when we're sharing it to those who who are perishing this word is bitter to them it's leading to death it's convicting them condemning them basically <laughs> so whatever this little book is because i have no clue what it is or what's written inside of it I, I i don't know exactly what it is but when it comes to god's book when it comes to the word of god we are to take it we can't just sit there and wait to to receive it it's like uh, uh, feed me <laughs> you know being spoon fed although there's times for that don't get me wrong but we are to take it. We are to feed upon it. And it will be sweet to us. It, 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 we, we, we are to take it and, and make it our own. It is to become part of who we are as Christians. It assimilates to our body. It gives us strength. gives us courage. gives us all those kinds of things. In other words, we are to make it personal and take it personal. And the things that we have learned and received from the word of God are sweet. And it will make us want to come back for more. Now it's not saying that when you take it in, it will make you sick or bitter in a bad way. If anything, it should convict us and hopefully make us bitter and sick for sin or of sin to where it's like, that's not what we want. But let it convict your heart. <laughs> Let it convict you to where the things that are changed or need to be changed will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so after John had eaten the little book, it did make his stomach bitter because he was commanded to go out and share it with everyone. He, he was to go and share this prophecy with the peoples, with the nations and tongues and with kings. And it will be bitter to them because of the judgment that is coming. He had to go be the one that wrote all this down. And so, as we close, we may not understand everything about God, but He never asked us to understand. He never asked us to understand it all. He just told us to trust Him. And I don't know where you're at today. Because there might be things that are going on in your life that you don't quite understand. And God has said, just trust me. Lean into me. Adhere to me. Rely upon me. Oh, let us go deeper. Let us dig deeper and deeper still and learn and do what he has revealed to us through his word.
But through, us, through it all, let us trust him. Amen? Amen? For what we do know and what we don't know. Let's pray. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Jesus, once again, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege of opening up your word. Lord, your word tells us in Revelation, Lord God, that blessed are those who, who read it and hear it, but also do it. And so, Lord, I thank you that once again, as a church, we have come together, we have read your word. I pray, God, that the things that you have revealed to us already in our lives, we would desire to do. That we would desire to be obedient, Lord. And the things that you have hidden from us, from our hearts, Lord God, that we would not waste our time in those things, but just trust. Lord, your word tells us that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of, of power and of a sound mind, Lord God. Those things we do know. And so help us, Lord, in these turbulent times, Lord God, to trust you, to draw closer to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that you are kind to us, that you are long-suffering. We bless you, Lord, for your, for your grace, Lord. But we also know that your word tells us that you are a just God and a righteous God, and you will bring judgment upon the earth. We know those things because of your word, Lord. And I thank you for those that the, your word has been a fragrance unto salvation, that they are walking in your, in your light, in your truth. But I want to pray for those, Lord, who may be here this morning that don't know you, Lord. This morning they've come, and they, it, it, it's kind of been a little bitter for them. It's, it's been hard to swallow, but I pray that even right now you would melt their hearts, <coughs> that you would begin to show them how much you love them, Lord. That those who may not know you right now, Lord God, will surrender their lives to you. That they would be able to pray just a simple prayer, Lord, of asking for forgiveness, of making them a new creation, taking away the old and giving them the new. And if you're here this morning and, and that simple little prayer that I just basically threw out there, these words that you, you were able to say, Lord, forgive me right now. Make me that new person that I need to be, Lord. Lord, I, I don't want to face the bitterness of judgment. <laughs> I want to I, I taste the sweetness of your grace, of your goodness. If there's anybody here this morning that, that hears that, that message and says, Pastor, pray for me, just raise your hand to right where you're at that, that you would be saying right now, Lord, save me. Is there anyone in this room right now that needs salvation? that you would not leave this place without knowing who Jesus is. That as you leave this morning, there's a sweetness that God has given you. Is there anyone this morning? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, proclaiming that they know you. Lord, help them to trust you. Help them, Lord God, to, to run to you with the things that they know and with the things that they don't know. Help them, Lord. Help them to trust you with all they have, Lord. You've given them your word. Let them learn from it, Lord, I pray. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I love you. If you need prayer, please.